passage of scripture from this morning. Which is in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he completes, competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound in chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Thank you. You may be seated. so funny, so many Sundays when Will's reading, when Will's reading the passage, I feel like I'm like, y'all look at my friend, like look, not, not Will, but the passage, I'm like, this is, I've been hanging out with this guy all week long, I'm like, y'all like him? Is this like a, that's how I feel, and I'm weird, so here we are, <clears throat> he is risen, okay. you never know if that's going to work or not, you kind of assume it will. <laughs> If I say that, y'all say that. So that really takes us to where we want to go today. We want to look today at if then. If then. And actually there's a slide later and and I got to title the slides when I put them in. And and the the slide is titled if we we if we he. So that's the title of the sermon this morning. I don't normally title my sermons. But if we, we, if we, he. Y'all won't forget that. Now, you, you'll never get that right. You'll be like, what did he say if we, we, we? What did he say? That's what you're going to do later. And all the kids are going, he said we, we. And so are all the eighth grade boys and 47-year-old men. So, If then, if then arguments are also known as conditional arguments or hypothetical syllogisms. And they're the workhorses of deductive logic. These arguments, often with implicit premises or conclusions, are pressed into service again and again in everyday communication. Here's one for an example. And I I I didn't write down where this came from. Uh, It's a college website that I got this that I'm reading here off of. So here's an example of an if-then argument. If we believe that good art, good music, and good books will elevate taste and improve the sensibilities of the young, which they certainly do, then we must also believe that bad music, bad art, and bad books will degrade. If-then. Let me give you a better one from Lewis Carroll out of Through the Looking Glass by the classic artist... Tweedledee. He says, contrarywise, if it was so, it might be. And if it were so, it would be. But if it isn't, it ain't. That's logic, Tweedledee says. If then, whether the argument is sound depends on whether the logic of the argument is successful and whether the premises are true. Whether the argument is sound depends on whether the logic of the argument is successful and whether the premises are true. If, then. Keep that in mind. That's where we're headed. As we move into 2 Timothy 
chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We need to be reminded and remind ourselves that Paul is using this last letter of his before he dies to call on Timothy to take up where Paul will be leaving off. It is a handing off of the, as Alistair Begg says, baton. The handing off of the baton, for those of us who know how to speak the Queen's English. Paul's handing the baton off to Timothy, and Timothy needs to run like Paul ran. Paul has so far encouraged Timothy by, by affirming the faith that he has seen in Timothy, that he said was also in Timothy's mom and his grandmother. And he's also encouraged him, of course, by pointing to Jesus and Paul's teaching and preaching about Jesus. He then turned to point out that many had abandoned him, Paul, saying that all in Asia had turned away from him. And then we ended last week with Paul pointing out that Onesiphorus, one guy, had refreshed him often in his imprisonment. And so now he comes back to Timothy, calling on him to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Notice he doesn't say, hey, Timothy, don't be like those deserters. He doesn't even say, hey, be like Onesiphorus. And he definitely doesn't say, hey, Timothy, try harder to be a better Timothy. No, it's not a call to look inside himself for Timothy. It's not a call to dig down deep and try harder to do better. It's a call to look away from himself and look to Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's what he's calling Timothy to do here. Timothy's strength is going to come not from himself, but in Christ Jesus. And we'll talk about that later too. And that's where grace is found. Grace is found in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's your strength, Timothy, and you're going to need it because Timothy has work to do. Look at verse 2, a classic discipleship text. I can't help but think of Herb Hodges when I read this text. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So to further encourage Timothy, Paul refers to what Timothy has heard Paul teach throughout his whole ministry. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Look to Jesus for grace and look to what I've taught about him too. Timothy. Timothy had spent all those years going from place to place with Paul, being sent from place to place by Paul, hearing Paul preach and teach the gospel over and over and over. And I'm sure they had plenty of private conversations which were precious to Timothy, but there were many witnesses who heard what Paul had taught as well. Paul didn't sit in an ivory tower pumping out theological journals or blog posts. He preached publicly, even submitting those teachings to the scrutiny of the apostles to make sure that, he was, that what he was saying was in line with Jesus' teachings who Paul didn't hang out with when Jesus was on the earth. Paul didn't meet him until after he was dead and alive again. So Paul's words could be confirmed. And they'd even been written down and shared with people over and over again. We've got those letters in our Bible, and there are a lot more letters, I'm sure, that we don't have in our Bible. So Paul is calling Timothy to bring all of this to mind for the purpose of encouragement, but also for propagation. He says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now we we mentioned this in our first message, but Paul was not solely focused on the current generation, nor should we be. Paul was looking throughout history, through all generations, until Jesus comes back and we have that marriage supper of the Lamb. And we see that here. Timothy, take what I've taught you and what I've taught others and entrust those teachings to faithful men, strong men, men who are able to teach, much like what he had told Timothy in 1 Timothy when evaluating men for eldership. And those faithful men are not to simply learn these things, not just to take them in. They're to learn in order to teach others. 
Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men, and those faithful men to others also. This chain is not to ever stop. And if done properly, it will never break. One link to another, to another, to another, to another, ad infinitum. And you know what? Here we sit today as part of that chain. Paul is preparing Timothy to equip equippers who will equip equippers. We should be doing the same. The teaching is there. Timothy's there. The faithful men are there. The others also will always be there too. But so will other things. Verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. What a What a verse. Write that on your forehead and look at it every morning when you look in the mirror. Be strengthened by the grace in Jesus. Teach faithful men about that grace and that Christ. And share in suffering as a good soldier of that same Christ. This life of gospel ministry that Timothy was a part of and would be a part of until an angry mob in Ephesus killed him, they say. This life of gospel ministry is not one of ease or pleasure, says Paul, sitting in a hole in the ground wearing chains awaiting his beheading. So he reminds Timothy that this suffering is their shared lot. They are in a battle, and they are to be good soldiers. Timothy is to share in suffering as any good soldier would do. You guys that have been soldiers in foxholes and with things flying over your head and at you, that's suffering. That's struggling. And Paul says, this is our mindset, Timothy. We're sharing in suffering together as good soldiers of Christ Jesus. We are on a warship, not a luxury liner, as John Piper would say. They're in a battle. And in a battle... You're a good soldier or you're dead or you're a casualty. Timothy is to share in suffering as any good soldier would do. Soldiers that don't share in suffering with each other are called deserters. And that's not something you want to be called or tried for at a later date. Paul is realistic with Timothy. He's not trying to encourage him by saying, it's going to be great, Timothy. You're going to be the head of this ministry and people are going to know your name and you're just going to, man, you're just going to love it because you get to teach people the Bible. No. He's encouraging Timothy with truth and a call to suffer like the soldier that he is. A good soldier of Christ Jesus. And Paul's going to spend the next three verses giving him some more examples of what this should look like. Verses 4 to 6. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. So here you've got three pictures, and this would be a great study to sit down and parse out and think about and memorize and meditate on. you got a soldier, an athlete, and a hard-working farmer. In calling Timothy to share in suffering, Paul gives these examples of what it looks like to engage and put in the work. He uses a soldier first, saying that soldiers keep their focus on pleasing the one who enlisted them instead of getting caught up in non-military issues. Know that the capital O one in authority wants you to make service to him your single pursuit. Not yourself, not the world, but the desire of the one who called you into service. Your aim is to please him because he enlisted you. 
Then Paul goes to an athlete and he says that someone competing in a sporting event has to know and keep the rules or he'll get disqualified. How many times have we heard of tampering or have we heard of uh, drug tests that come up positive after uh, somebody competes? <laughs> Red cards. If you trip people, knock people down, or are mean to people, Chris, where are you at? Red card. You get red carded. You got to compete according. You got to compete according to the rules. And if you don't, you get disqualified. So Timothy, to win in this arena, know what the rules are. Know what the guidelines, what the directions are, which would apply to what the teaching, right? And then he goes to a farmer. Well, technically, a hard-working farmer. There's plenty of farmers. Not every farmer is a hard-working farmer. And he points out that when this hard-working farmer has concluded his hard work, then he ought to reap the benefits of what his work has, has, has produced, and he should be the first to reap those benefits. Stay focused, soldier. Know the requirements and truths you are to conduct yourself to, athlete, and know, hard-working farmer, that a reward is coming for it all. These things, Timothy, will help you suffer well and will keep you in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, do you get it? He wants to make sure, so verse 7, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. I love this. It's Paul calling Timothy and us to specific meditation on what he's just said. Focus your mind on this soldier, this athlete, this farmer, and think of the implications. If then, right? Use your mind to think on purpose and see what implications this might have for you, Timothy, in suffering, in the gospel ministry, in discipleship. But again, the focus is not on Timothy's ability or an inward gaze for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And this is cooperation in the life of the thinking believer. You think it over and the Lord will give you understanding. Paul's hope is not in Timothy figuring things out. His hope is in Timothy slowing down And thinking long enough so that God, who is so often a God of the process, that God will work to help empower Timothy's thinking so that he comes to understanding. And I wonder how many times throughout the rest of his life, Timothy would have these metaphors pop up in his mind. Man, I'd like to take some time off for myself, but good soldiers don't do that. Maybe I can take a shortcut here. It's not important. Maybe I can cheat the system, but athletes only get the prize if they compete according to the rules. I'd like to just give up, but hardworking farmers reap a reward after their toil. Paul was so good at just planting these little seeds. And the Holy Spirit of God is working to make that information power in Timothy's life. Listen, we would do well, every single one of us, to slow down or even to stop sometimes, cut everything else off, and think on the words of God. Because what I see here is Paul saying, if you'll stop and think, the Lord's going to give you understanding. God will honor it. Now, on to verse 8. You want to know something to think about? You want to know something to stop and focus on? Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Now remember, Paul is calling on Timothy to be strengthened and to suffer well in his life and ministry. He's pointed him to grace and he's given him some meditations to help him. But now, now he really pours some gasoline on this fire. You want to know how to suffer? You want to know how to struggle? You want to know how to persevere? Remember, Paul says, remember Jesus Christ. But not just Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ risen from the dead. 
the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. He tells Timothy in all of this to remember, to bring to mind, to think on purpose about Jesus Christ. Jesus, the very word means Savior, because it is He who will save His people from their sins. Christ, the anointed one of God, sent to fulfill God's mission on earth to deliver his people. And in remembering this Jesus, this Christ, remember that he's what? Remember that he is risen from the dead. Oh man, yeah, remember that. Remember, Timothy, as you suffer, as you labor, that your Lord is a resurrected Lord. Your Savior, your Deliverer died... And came back to life. He suffered to the point of death. But then he overcame even death. Sitting in jail, waiting for execution, Paul the Apostle says to remember the risen Christ. In pointing Timothy towards suffering and probable death in his work and ministry, Paul reminds Timothy that their master, their commanding officer, is the one who changed all the rules. And the reward that the people of the cross will reap is eternal, everlasting life because death has no power over them in him. So Timothy, come suffer with me. Come suffer like your Lord did. But as you do, Timothy, remember, Christ and his people are immune to death. We saw last week in 2 Timothy 1.10 that Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. How did he do that? By rising from the dead. By coming alive out of the tomb where he had been dead before. The God-man, Jesus, laid down his life, allowing the chief priests of the Jews to hand him over and the Romans to crucify him. He gave up his spirit on that cross, commending it into the hands of his father, and he died. Friday night, right? Jesus' body hung lifeless on that cross. They took him down. They carried that dead body to an unused tomb. And they laid that dead body in that tomb. Rolling a big stone over it. But. (laughs) But. Jesus didn't stay dead. That pesky Jesus. He just won't stay dead. And oh. Oh. After all these years, that's so cliche to us, I'm afraid, here on this morning of all mornings. So we dress up and tell our kids that a rabbit brought them candy and gifts because Jesus rose from the grave. What? Christmas. Merle Haggard has a song, Santa Claus and Popcorn. Jingle bells and reindeer horns. Christmas trees and mistletoe. Jesus loves me, this I know. And then later it says, we celebrate because a king was born with Santa Claus and popcorn. If this, then that. Jesus rose from the grave, so a rabbit brings you candy in a basket. Now listen, I'm, not, I'm just afraid we missed this message so much off the map that it's only indicative that that's how we celebrate Easter. I'm not on you if you do that. But this is so cliche. Yeah, Jesus rose from the grave. He's risen. He's risen indeed. Yeah, that's what we do on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. That'll help you suffer well, right? But if we would slow down. And purposefully think on this resurrection. Focus our thought and our emotions on this historical truth. What might the Lord bring to our understanding? Because listen church. Listen believer. Listen unbeliever. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. Everything. The resurrection of Jesus Christ affects and changes everything. 
And so, this is the one thing out of Paul's gospel that he brings up to remember. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead as preached in my gospel. Now, there are other components of the gospel that Paul preached and taught and taught us to preach. The grace of God, the sinfulness of man, the holiness of God, the life and death of Jesus. The need to place our faith in the finished work of Jesus. But this component, this resurrection is what Paul calls Timothy to remember in this exhortation to suffer well. Why? Because it changes everything. Because it changes everything. It gives Timothy and us hope in the face of even death. Paul also says to remember that Jesus is the offspring of David. Now why that here? Jesus is a descendant of David. We saw that in the genealogy when we started Matthew way back when. And David was Israel's greatest king. But what's, what's that got to do with this? If, if then what? Well, in 2 Samuel 7, God makes a covenant with David, promising many things to David, among which were things we see in verses 12 to 16 of 2 Samuel 7. I don't have that up here. When your days are fulfilled, God says to David... And you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house, David, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now... God lives outside of time, and there's so much here in this little passage in 2 Samuel where, where God's talking about Solomon, David's son, but he's also talking about somebody else. Is Solomon still reigning over Israel today? No, he died. So Solomon wasn't the only one that God was talking about here, even though he'll build a house for me. Solomon did that. When he sins, I'm going to discipline him. Solomon definitely did that. But he says that the throne will be established forever. And that word forever, which is used three times in those few verses, what does forever mean? I'll give you a good definition of forever. It means forever. No end. Everlasting. Eternal. God is establishing the throne of His King over His people which will last forever and that forever kingdom will be ruled by a what? An offspring of David. And we see here in 2 Timothy that Jesus is the offspring of David. And by the merit of His life and work, because He is risen from the dead to live forever, Jesus is that offspring of David who will reign and rule over God's people forever. So there's a definite connection between Jesus Christ risen from the dead and Jesus Christ offspring of David. And so, Timothy, join in suffering for the gospel of this risen forever king. Because in the face of all that you will suffer, not even death, the ultimate end of all suffering has any power over your Lord or, Timothy, over you. Jesus Christ has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And it is this gospel, this risen reigning Christ that you are suffering for and will die for. And the reward that you reap will not be temporary or fleeting, but will be indeed eternal forever, everlasting. So remember that, Timothy. For which I am suffering, verse 9, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Paul reminds that this calling for Timothy to suffer is a call to suffer alongside him, alongside Paul. He points out that the gospel he referred to at the end of verse 8, that's the one that contains the risen Christ who is the offspring of David. That gospel is the reason that he, Paul, is suffering. For which I am suffering, he says, bound with chains as a criminal. Paul is in prison because he won't stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He will not capitulate and agree that Caesar is God. He will not deny that there is one God. 
who was manifested in the flesh in the life and ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. And that refusal to compromise has Paul in chains in a hole-in-the-ground prison looking, for a notorious, looking like a notorious criminal. But as Paul's like, oh, boo-hoo, poor me, that's awful. He must be so dejected, so defeated. Nah, Paul says, I'm in chains. I'm in chains. But the word of God is not bound. He doesn't say, Timothy, go to the court system and get me out of here. Timothy, fight for my rights. I'm a Roman citizen. Now, he did bring that up from time to time. But that's not his call here. He says, I'm in chains. But the word of God is not bound. Hallelujah. They can put God's people in prison, but they cannot do anything to trap, hold down, bind, or contain God's word. It's growing, flourishing, abounding all through the Roman Empire where Caesar exalts himself and it will outlive and outproduce the mightiest nation of the then known world. All the efforts of all the kings and authorities to put an end to the preaching of the gospel of the risen Christ will fail and will actually only serve to multiply and empower that gospel, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. In the second century, early church father Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And that was true, so much more true, than Nero or any Roman emperor or any American lawmaker would ever know. Where's Rome today? Rome's gone. But the word of God is still reproducing and flourishing over 2,000 years later. And it always will. It's not bound. Okay, so then what? If this, then what? Therefore... I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Whoa. That's a verse, y'all. Therefore, since Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, since he is the offspring of David, and since the word of God can't be bound, therefore, Paul endures everything. Paul can hold up under the pressure, the strain, the suffering, and the persecution. Why? Because it's all going to pay off. There are eternal rewards and benefits that far outweigh any suffering or pain I have to go through right now, Paul says. But, look at why Paul endures all of this. For the sake... Of the elect. Hmm. Uh, hmm. What now? For the sake of the elect. That they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise for this. Yo. And, I, and I'm going to put a pin in this right now and promise to get back to it next week for an expanded view of this specifically. A, a larger, more detailed exploration of this verse only. Not that it doesn't matter in today's discussion. The very fact that there is an elect people and they are to obtain the salvation and eternal glory that are in Christ Jesus means that God has a plan. And listen, God's plans do not fail. God does not have a plan B. Has never, will never. God has never sat on the throne of the universe and said, Well, shoot, now I've got to. Well, they messed it up, so now I'm going to have to change everything. Never! Not in the Garden of Eden. Not when his people Israel rebelled and worshipped idols. Not when they got shipped off into exile and came back and then did it again. Not when he sent Jesus. Listen, Jesus was never plan B. The church was never plan B. God had a plan. God has a plan. 
And God's plans never fail. So, so, so what? So Paul says, therefore I endure everything. For the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The very fact, again, that there is an elect people and they are to obtain the salvation and eternal glory that are in Christ Jesus means that God has a plan and God's plans never fail. So, Paul's not afraid for what will ultimately seem like momentary light affliction since the glory to be revealed to him in eternity will be magnitudinally greater than anything he goes through here. And all of it, all of it, is according to God's plan and design. All of it. God's plan cannot and will not fail. And like I said, Lord willing, more on this next week. But for today, let's turn our attention to the last three verses. The saying is trustworthy. For if we've died with him... We will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So this set of verses is the last of the five trustworthy statements in the pastoral epistles. We talked about that from the beginning. We've looked at them as we've come to them as we've worked through 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy. They're statements that are said to be trustworthy, which is a call to attention for those who are hearing it for the purpose of teaching sound doctrine in an almost catechizing way. So what follows after the saying is trustworthy is a set saying, or maybe even an early hymn, some think, that would have been commonly taught, said, or sung in these early congregations as basic tenets of the faith. And this one is is one set of one statement with two sets of double statements. There we go. That's what I'm trying to say. So we're going to look at them like this. And here's my if we he, no, if if, if we he, if we we, I can't get it right. If we we, if we he. Okay? So we're going to look at them like this, laid out like this. So that first set, um, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. So you see that if we, we, if we, we. Second set, if we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. John was starting a computer up this morning. He brought up a presentation. He said, why is there a slide that says, if we, we, if we, he? I'm like, just trust me. You know, let's go with it. So see that first set of coupled phrases, if we, we will. And the second is, if we, he. And it just links them together to be formatted like that. And the first set is a, has a positive connotation. If we, something good. We will, something good. And the second set is a little tricky. Because it's if we something negative, he something negative. Although at first glance it may not look that way. So let's look at that first set. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. So on that first pair it says if we died with him, we'll also live with him. The very essence of being a Christian is found in the little phrase, in Christ. It is only, only Only union with Christ that makes one a Christian. The phrases in Christ, in the Lord, and in Him are found 164 times in the letters of Paul alone. To be born again is to be placed in Christ. And that new life in Christ starts with what? It starts with death. Jesus' death. Once we were placed in Christ, we shared in his life, which included his death. Jesus' death on the cross, then, becomes our death too. Stay with me. Paul's best explanation of this is found in Romans 6, 3-8. to 
Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So, this first part back here in our if we, we, if we, he, looks kind of negative. Died? What's this talk about death? It seems negative, but it's actually a very positive positive. And it's an actually wonderfully positive thing. We share in Christ's death which means we have died to sin. And if we died with him, Paul says in 2 Timothy, we will also live with him. Like what he said in Romans 6, death precedes life in the kingdom of God. If we have died with Christ, Paul said in Romans 6, 8, we believe that we will also live with him. Or like it says here, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. Death for the Christian leads to life for the Christian. Sharing in Christ's death leads to sharing in Christ's resurrection. So death is positive and life with him is obviously positive. Resurrection life is positive. And the death precedes the life. Now in the second couplet of the first section it says, If we endure, we will also reign with him. So here the first positive is what Paul is calling Timothy to a few times already in this short letter. If we endure... If we suffer and make it through to the end, then we will also reign with him. Endurances lead to reigning with him, with Jesus on his forever throne like we saw earlier. Now don't miss that. You want motivation to endure? Well, how about a promise to reign with Jesus on his forever throne? That might just be worth it, right? Good later is better, right? Good now is all right, but good later is better. Friday's here, but Sunday's coming, right? So if we endure, we will reign with him. So there's a call to endurance. You want motivation to endure? Well, remember that if if I endure by his grace, I'm going to reign with him on his throne forever. That might just be worth it if then, okay? Okay. Now, the second set of two coupletish thingies here. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. So that first one. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we deny him, if we say no to him, I do not know the man. If we reject him, then what will he do? It says he'll deny us. That just makes sense, right? But I know what you're thinking. Well, what about Peter? Didn't he deny Jesus and Jesus didn't deny him? Yep. Peter denied Jesus and Jesus forgave him. Past tense. But this word deny here in 2 Timothy is a future middle indicative verb. You're like, what in the word are you talking about? That indicates that something will definitely happen in the future. If we are bound to deny him in the future, into the future, with that being our final state, he will deny us. Peter went out and wept bitterly after his three denials. He was sorry. But here in 2 Timothy, these deniers never repent. So Jesus denies them. Depart from me, I never knew you. And they'll go into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Because they denied Jesus. Now, the second set, which is a little bit tricky. It sounds positive. And it's been used many times by me and others to indicate something good for us. But be careful. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. 
So that sounds like God will be faithful to us whether we're faithful or not. But that's not what it means. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He is who he is regardless of our faith or our faithlessness. If one is faithless, that's not a flaw or fault of God. Now stop. Think about that for a minute. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. God is who God is regardless of our faith or our faithlessness. If one is faithless, that's not a flaw or fault of God. He remains faithful. He is who he is. Our actions do not change God. He cannot deny himself. And a lot of people want to impugn God if somebody doesn't believe. Especially in light of the doctrine of election. They say, well, if God created someone and elected some but not others, then he can't justly punish someone who's faithless because that would be evil or not fair. But if a God-created human being doesn't believe, God is faithful. If God elects some and not others, God is faithful. If some will spend eternity in hell for a failure to place their faith in Christ, God is faithful. For he cannot deny himself. And I know our feelings struggle with that and we wrestle with that. And I I encourage you to wrestle with that. But don't get so caught up in your feelings, you forget the non-negotiable truth that God is faithful. And God has a plan, and that plan is going to be carried out to perfection. Because he's faithful. He can't deny himself. We can deny him. But if we do, he can't deny himself. He cannot repent or feel bad for who he is or for what he's done or what he's doing. God remains God from eternity to eternity. And from eternity to eternity, God remains faithful. So all of it, all the pairs and couplets and such, are Paul urging Timothy to endure and be faithful because... That's what those saved by God do in imaging forth the faithful God who called them to partake in the death and life of Christ and faithfully endure like he does, not denying him or being faithless toward him. But if someone does deny him, he will deny them. If they're faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. So let's not use this as, well, I was faithless today, but God's faithful. That's not what it's saying. It's not what it means. Praise God, he is faithful, even when I am faithless, but that's not what this is saying. It's saying if you're faithless, he's faithful to himself, to his plan, to his glory, and that will never change. Suffer, Timothy. Endure, Timothy. Because if we died with him, we'll also live with him. Suffer and endure, because if we endure, we'll also reign with him. Don't deny him, Timothy, because if you deny him, he'll deny you. And don't be faithless, Timothy, because God remains faithful to himself and to his plan. And he can't deny himself and he can't accept faithlessness. And again, we may expand on this a little more next week as well. But for now, let's turn our attention to application. A little different application set up today. I've got SSRR. Suffer. Share, risen, respond. Suffer, share, like S-H-A-R-E. We're not talking about sunny and share. It's share. Risen and respond. Suffer, share, risen, respond. First application point is suffer. We see in verse 3, I went too far. Share in suffering. As a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And in verse 9, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Listen to me, church. Individual believer, corporate church. Suffering is a major theme of this book, but suffering is also a major theme of the Christian life. Jesus didn't call us to a garden party. I guess ultimately he did. But as we walk through the world, he didn't... 
He doesn't say, hey, I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. Up front, he says, you are going to suffer. So application-wise, know that. And let's stop soft-selling this gospel thing to tell everybody everything will be great and your life will be wonderful. That's not the gospel. The gospel is you're going to suffer and there's grace for every step of it because he's faithful. We are not those who are to shrink back in the face of suffering. We are not those who are to think it's strange when we suffer as followers of Jesus. Paul will say later in this letter that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So when it happens, we don't go, what? I didn't sign up for this. I signed up for health, wealth, and prosperity. I beg your pardon. Never promised you that. I promised you suffering. And the grace to help you endure that suffering. And I gave you an example in my earthly life, Jesus said, as one who suffered to the point of death, even death on a cross. You will suffer. And that's going to look different in every individual's life. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you are going to suffer. And we see the suffering and we embrace the suffering knowing that our Lord suffered before us and so have generations of believers. You say, well, how am I going to suffer? I don't know. And, you know, we're in the day and age where people are like, I know we're getting close because it's getting hard to be a Christian. (laughs) It's been hard to be a Christian since Jesus was alive. Oh, but it's worse today. No, it's not. Matter of fact, we're very soft. And that's not a condemnation. It's just the truth. We think suffering is, I I won't do that. That's not nice. You're going to suffer, embrace the suffering, and know that God has given the grace and His Holy Spirit to help you not only endure that suffering, but to endure the suffering with an eye on. It's all going to be worth it. And one day, Paul says in Romans, it is all going to seem like momentary light affliction in light of the degrees and and layers of glory that's going to be revealed to us when we finally see him face to face. He has promised us that one day we will look back and say, that was light momentary affliction. Even though it doesn't feel like it right now. Suffer. Second is share. We could spend a ton of time here, but we don't have a ton of time. Y'all are waiting on breakfast, right? Verse 2. A great memory verse. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Christianity is a person-to-person, life-on-life deal. You have received from God's hand directly so that you can give it to somebody else. We're not sponges just meant to soak things up We're sponges that soak things up so that we can be squeezed and poured out for the sake of other people. That's your calling, Christian. You're like, well, I'm not a teacher. Nope, nope, nope. We ain't taking that. Are you pouring your life into other people like Jesus did with those 12 guys, like Paul did with Timothy, like Timothy did with these faithful men who did so with others also to the point that here we sit 2,000 years later reaping the benefits of it. What if there's another 2,000 years before Jesus comes back? Are you investing your life into the lives of others so that this chain can go on and more links formed and more links formed so that this flame can be fanned into an inferno that we carry with us as a torch into eternity? You have received in order to give. You receive here every Sunday, 
Lord willing, so that you can take it and share it with somebody else. I'm getting a call from Double A Kitchen Appliances right now. No, thank you. They're reaching out to me about my stove's warranty, probably. We're not going to share with Double A Appliance this morning. We're going to share you have received in order to give. So share what you receive into the lives of other people. Suffer, share, risen. We are here this morning because Jesus Christ came back from the dead. Verse 8 in our passage today. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached. In my gospel. And verse 11. This saying is trustworthy for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. Resurrection life in Jesus is given to Jesus' people. And the same, whoa, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead now resides in his people. The same resurrection, resurrection life that animated the dead body of Jesus now exists, lives, dwells, temples in, tabernacles with the people of God today. The very tip-top truth of the Christian life, of the universe itself, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If what we are remembering and celebrating today is true... If Jesus Christ really came out of the tomb, if Jesus Christ really is risen from the dead, then God's real. Jesus is the Christ, and his life is available to those who have trusted him for their salvation. And he's coming back one day. To reign and to rule upon the earth. To judge those who have not placed their faith in him. And to reward those who have. If Jesus really is risen from the dead. So did he? Like, How can you know for sure, Jason? It's a fair question. How can we know for sure? Where's he at? I promise you, if the enemies of Jesus could have produced his body after he was showing up in random places, revealing himself as alive to different people over a period of 40 days, over 500 eyewitnesses who said, we saw him. We saw saw the dead guy and he's not dead anymore. If the enemies of Christ could have produced a body and said, no, here's his bloody dead body. Shut up with all this. If they could have, they would have. But they couldn't. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. For he has risen just as he said he would do. So go tell. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going to meet y'all. He's going to pop up in a room unannounced. He's going to say, Shalom. And y'all going to be like, what? We saw the empty tomb, but now we've seen him. We heard that the lady saw him, but I hadn't seen him yet. Let me tell you what, I can tell you that he's alive because I've seen him. Not with my physical eyes. He has animated this this body and he's brought understanding to this brain and he's given me a new and a living hope that I did not have before. I placed my faith in the death, burial, resurrection, appearances, ascension, and glorification of Jesus Christ. I know. And I'm firmly convinced. And so have generations of people been. And his life is available to those who have trusted them for their salvation. And it is the ultimate encouragement in the face of suffering and struggling as well. Don't believe me? Look at the accounts themselves. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, two eyewitnesses and two secondhand guys who said, yep, we've searched it out and it's true. It's true. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. And those remaining 11 apostles who didn't deny him or betray him like Judas did, 
They would march to their deaths. And they would be martyred and killed. And so would generations of martyrs, people today who are still marching, singing, dancing to the stake at which they will be burned because they are convinced of the truth of the risen Christ. Because death is dead. And he has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So if Jesus is alive, if Jesus is risen, then what? Respond. Suffer, share, risen, respond. If Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, it is up to you today to respond to that truth. You are commanded to respond to that truth. We saw it today, right? The saying is trustworthy. For if we've died with Him, we'll also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. If what we are saying today is true, every single person who has and ever will live is accountable to respond to it. If Jesus is alive, then what? I would change one word there. Since Jesus is alive, then what? What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do with it? Because you're accountable to make that decision. Lastly, can't not read this passage as we conclude. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. And it's a little lengthy and we'll be done. For I delivered to you as of first importance, Paul says to the Corinthians, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James... Then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me from the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power, for he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under Christ's feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Let's pray. Father, help us to be those who respond 
in faith to the truth that you have presented to us today. Help us to know the realization of the resurrection of Christ and may we walk in it and may we suffer well for your glory. And if there be those here this morning that have not placed their faith in this risen Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, speak now. Give life that they may place their faith in him. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, receive a benediction, which is going to come from our text today. Remember, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, has preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Stay neat with us if you can.